Have you ever heard people say things like, you should center students in your work, but you're not quite sure what that means? Or would you love to center students in your everyday work, but you need some support on what that might actually look like in practice? If you're not sure how to center students in your racial justice work, then you are in the right place. Hi, I'm Dr. Terrence L. Green. I'm a tenure professor, and I've helped to prepare hundreds of racially just and anti-racist school leaders, and I want to help you. That's why I created this podcast to provide you and your team with real-world insights and practices that work so that you can collectively build racially just schools. On today's episode, I'm going to share with you five practical ways to center youth in your racial justice work. I'm going to be as practical as I can be. I want to share these five strategies with you that I believe you can begin to implement tomorrow in your practice. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by www.raciallyjustschools.com. And when you join our community today, I will send you a free video on how to make your racial justice work better. I'm excited about you joining the community and I look forward to meeting you. And if you're ready to get into today's episode, we will in one second. But first, I have a special announcer that's going to get us started. Welcome to the Racial Justice Podcast with your host, Dr. Terrence Elgrade. He's my daddy and he's the best ever. Let's go. You're listening to the Racially Just Schools Podcast, the show that provides resources to help you and your team build racially just schools. Now, here's your host, Dr. Terrence L. Green. Welcome to the Racially Just Schools Podcast. My name is Dr. Terrence L. Green, and I am your host, and yo, As always, I am deeply humbled and appreciative that you are here for today's episode. Now, I'm excited about today's episode um, because on today, I'm going to be sharing with you five ways to center students in your racial justice work. And again, my intentions and goals and, and ambitions here are to be as practical as possible so that as you're listening to this or as soon as you finish listening to it, you, the people that you work with on your team, the folks you're collaborating with the folks you're working in solidarity with, like you literally can begin doing this today, tomorrow, on Monday. Um, You may already be doing some of these things. If you are, that is amazing. And if you are, let's think about some ways in which you can go deeper. Let's think about some ways in which you can make it um, even more profound and more impactful in how you engage in these five practices or these practical ways to center students in your racial justice work. So if you're ready, let's hop right into it. As we hop into this first practice and this first way in which to center students and your and youth in your your racial justice work, and particularly black youth, um, um, Latinx youth, uh, Asian Pacific Islander youth, youth that have been um, schools weren't created for. They have been significantly marginalized because of their their socially constructed um, identities. And so as we set this up, there's a couple things I want you to be thinking about. Um, so first, it, this is not and this is not the first actual practice, but just kind of laying the groundwork and foundation that we enter in here um, with some common shared um, understanding is that th- th- this is not about just su- centering students voice. 
but this is about centering students' humanity, right? So this is about centering the totality of them as people, as human beings. And so this is where we start when we start to center youth, particularly black youth, when we center youth and not just their voice, but their humanity. This is where we start to make the shifts from schooling to education, because remember, schooling is where things are done to you. Education is done with you. I'll say that again. Schooling is done to you. Education is done with you and schooling teaches us our place in society, but education teaches us to transform society. So this means that now you have to not only be a teacher, but you also have to be a student. This means that you're not only a leader or an administrator, but you're also a student. And the the reverse is also true as well. This means that your students are not just students, but they are also teachers and they are also leaders. Right. And so there is this symbiotic dialogue dialectical um, reciprocal relationship where the roles of the engagement between you and youth, black youth, um, uh, indigenous youth, uh, the, 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 it has shifted. You've transformed that. You've shifted that power dynamic on its head. as like some grounding for this the first thing and these are not in any particular order of importance but these are just five things again these are not just the most exhaustive these are just five practical things that you can begin doing so the first one is you can create opportunities for students to share their perspectives and their lived experiences so this first practical way in which you can center students in your and center youth in your racial justice work is that you can create opportunities for youth to share their perspectives and their lived experiences and this can happen in a number of ways and when i think about creating these opportunities you want to create these embedded these normed opportunities where students are are always being able to share their lived experiences and 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 their 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 perspectives now how might you do that there are a number of ways in which you can do that thinking very practically you can do that in written forms right you can have free write time where students just have an opportunity to just write down what their lived experiences are what their perspectives are on a particular um, subject on uh, the way the the classroom culture was today on the way um, that we made decisions today right this could be done through some type of a, a written exercise and it could be a short little blurb or it could be five or ten minutes it could be a free write it could be um, a two sentence thing it could be uh, sometimes I, I, I would ask students to write um, headlines what's the headline right so the headline for today's uh, experience in class was X, Y, and Z. You also can do this verbally, right? I think it's just having conversations with students one on one collectively, um, but making this a part of your everyday practice, the people that you're engaged with to constantly be creating opportunities for them to share their lived experiences and their perspectives. Um, I think you also can have su- suggestion boxes, right? You can have a, a old shoe box or an old coffee can or an old canister. And at any given time throughout the day, uh, uh, youth in your class or youth that you're engaged in whatever work you're doing they can write something down they can put it down and they could put it in that suggestion box and that suggestion box has that information there where you can get it you can read it y'all can engage with that information another practical way which you can do that is through very short surveys right and when i do these surveys i use google forms right it's free log on get you in a google account if you don't want to use google find you another uh, open source free tool that you can use The, the one thing i like about the google forms is that 
once you do the surveys, people put their information in, then you're able to see kind of like on the aggregate level what's happening. And then it, it just makes it much easier for analysis. You don't it kind of does some of that on the back end. It doesn't give you like statistical significance if you're trying to go that deep and robust. And I'm not even saying you got to do all that. I'm just saying like you can create a very short survey, two questions, three questions, one question. It could be a multiple choice. It can be open ended. You're just you're constantly norming and creating opportunities for students students to share their experiences and to share um, their perspectives, their lived experiences and their perspectives. Um, Classroom discussions, I think that goes with the verbal. So there are multiple channels that you can create for students to be able to share their ideas and their perspectives and and their lived experiences. So there's the written, there's the verbal, there's the suggestion box, there are the surveys, um, there's the class discussions. Finally, there's another thing that I I use, I, I often use it when I'm working with teachers or principals or superintendents or something. And I use it even in my classes, but I I use this dilemma consultancy protocol uh, by the national school reform faculty. Back in the day, they had this thing around uh, critical friends groups. And some of you may remember that, Um, but I, I, I like this protocol and I may link it to the show notes, um, the link to it, but it's the Lemma Consultancy Protocol. So I use this, and I actually use it in my class, my doctoral classes too. Um, essentially, the protocol, and once you get it, you can go through it and see kind of like how it plays out. But essentially, somebody brings a dilemma. They bring a problem of practice um, that they're grappling with, uh, and they have a, a, some some time to talk, and then folks around the question that are around, you know, that person sits kind of like in the center, the people are surrounded, and then they ask like clarifying questions, right? Just to ask the facts, um, make sure they're clear on it, clarifying questions. And then after that, um, the person who had the dilemma kind of moves out of the way. And then the people are sitting in a circle and they're dialoguing and having conversations and coming up with suggestions and ideas for the person who has the dilemma. Um, Similarly, I think this could be done for you. Like so you can have a dilemma that you're grappling with in your classroom that you want to share with students so that they can give their lived experiences and they can share their perspectives. Um, And so you might be like, you know, I. I, I am trying I'm wondering what is the best way to um, make sure that this content is relevant and is engaging the students. Right. So that could be the problem that you put out there. Boom. You move out the way. They ask the clarifying questions and then give them time to discuss and talk about it. Right. So, again, this is not something you just do on a one off. This is not just something. And you have to do the same exact thing over and over again. I've talked about a number of ways in which you can do this, but the whole thing is you want to start to norm this and embed this in your everyday practice or your multiple times a week. You want this to be a, a rhythm in the way that you engage um, with young people, with with youth, and and again, creating the space and the opportunities for students to share their lived experiences and their perspectives is one way to start to see. The second way that you can begin to center youth in your racial justice work is through listening actively and responding thoughtfully. I'll say that again is to listen actively and then to respond thoughtfully. Right. So this is, again, something you want to embed in your practice to constantly be doing, um, because Again, we talked about in the the first practice is like students are sharing their perspectives, they're sharing their lived experiences, you create these opportunities. Well, you want to be like actively listening so that you can respond. So I think a number of things practically emerge when you think about this. Number one, I think is affirming students lived experiences and perspectives. Right. Um, You're not judging them. You're not um, uh, critiquing them. You're just affirming that they have an opinion and a perspective. 
right? Whether you agree with it or disagree with it or anything, like you're you're affirming. I think the other thing is like you're, you're thanking them for actually being transparent and vulnerable enough, um, and and being down with you enough and be like, look, I want to share this with you, right? Um, whether it's difficult for you to receive, but like I appreciate you sharing it. Um, and then I think another thing is that you is important for you to ask clarifying questions, right? And as you ask these clarifying questions, you're asking questions in the spirit of inquiry, not in the spirit of judgment, right? But I think you then you actually have to respond. Like there is an actual responding to this. Now, I, you know, I wish I could tell you that um, I've done this perfectly and I've always gotten this right. You know, I'm, I'm often reminded of a situation that I had when I was when I was actually a classroom teacher. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm a former high school science teacher. And um, I had this one student um, who just really, really appreciated me in my class. He you know, he loved it. He would always come up and, you know, dap me up and give me praise and hugs like, oh, Mr. Green. Back then I wasn't Dr. Green. I was Mr. Mr. Green. I just love it. You, my favorite teacher. And he would like verbalize this and tell me. And so we were cool. And, um, and I, I really had mad love for the student still do to this day. And I'll never forget. It was, he was in my class and then class had let out. And he, as they let out for whatever reason, I went to my desk to look at some in between passing time, right. Getting ready for the next class to come in. And, um, he comes to my desk. Hey, I need to talk to you about something. And when he comes to me, his eyes look, like something looks like is wrong. Right. And so he's talking to me and he said, Hey, I need to talk to you, Mr. Green. So cool. I sit up and he starts talking to me, excuse me. And uh, he says, look, I, I'm struggling right now. Like what's going on, man? Um, He said, I am, I'm, I'm deeply depressed. I'm just like deeply depressed. I'm not myself. Uh, I'm just deeply depressed. And, and, and again, in retrospect and in hindsight, again, I, I, in the moment I could look at him and tell something was up. Um, so I was actively listening, but I, I miserably failed in the response. And I never forget. I was like, Oh, it's just part of being in high school. And, um, you know, you're going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Just go home, take a nap. Uh, uh, I, my, whatever my response was, it was something along those lines. It, it was just a big fail. And I could see he was just like so disappointed in my response, um, that he didn't even try to tell me anymore. He just kind of left out. He didn't storm out. He wasn't upset. You know, I didn't think anything of it. Here I am. I'm scrambling, thinking like, okay, the next class is about to come in. Let me make sure I'm, I'm ready. Got stuff going. And I used to like to go in the hallway. So I'm like, all right, let me get out in the hallway. So nonetheless, a week, week and a half, two weeks pass by, and then his mom actually comes up to the school during the class he was in and comes into the class and comes to get schoolwork for him. And I'm like, oh, how's he doing? I haven't seen him in a couple of days. He said, yeah, he has been, um, he's been admitted um, to a clinic um, because, you know, he had a, a situation and he, I, I believe he. I'm not sure. So I won't say he was harming himself, but it was something, uh, uh, a horrific event happened. Nonetheless, he ended up going to getting hospitalized and talking about, you know, how deeply depressed he was. And they asked that you reach out to an adult. And uh, he say, I reached out to my, my favorite teacher, Mr. Green. And when I reached out to him, he completely ignored me. Oh, and it just like totally crushed me. And I think about that. That was goodness. 15 years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And um, 
I, I listened actively, I guess, but I responded miserably, right? So these two go together in this second kind of like practice is like to actively listen and it's to respond thoughtfully. It is again, the, to affirm the perspective. Um, I I hear you. I see you. This is a reality. How, how can I help you? Thank you for sharing this with me, clarifying questions and then respond. The response that you have to have, it has to be a thoughtful response. And sometimes the responses are not in the moment. The responses are not right then. The responses might not be, you know, the next day. But in those emergency situations like I have with this student, I should have responded immediately. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't. He's doing significantly better last time I um, had contact with him. And this has been many years ago um, since we last had, you know, contact. But, um, you know, even in my mess ups and my fails, there were other adults who were engaged in supporting young folks who were able to help and support this student. And so I share that, you know, not as something that I'm proud of, but I share it as like this is something that you can do practically to like really start to center students. And it's super important to not just to actively listen, but to thoughtful. practice that you can engage to center youth and your uh, racial justice work is to involve them in the decision making processes of 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 the engagement that you have with them right whether that's in a class whether that's on some committee whether that's um however that's happening some after school programs some community based space you want to involve students in the actual decision making right so this is not just um including or having them as representatives i know a lot of times you know i mean it's 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 a you know i think a great uh first step towards something you know people have like these committees and we have student representatives but you still make all the decisions right so it it, it has the representation of students, but in terms of the actual decision making and the power that's still hoarded and held by you or the person who convened them and you're just having this thing. Right. I'm talking about like literally involving youth in the actual decision making process It's not just consulting them and inquiring them about things, but like you actually get to inform making some of the decisions. And I know for some people like that, that sounds scary, like, oh, my God. Um, you think of what, what I can't involve them because they won't know what to do. And they, they don't. And, and it's like all these deficits, ideologies and languages come out. Um, but it's like you don't know. Right. <laughs> and so I think it is important to to acknowledge those assumptions that you have to hold them and to name them, but then to enter them and to move through them. Right. Again, we know what's happening in schools is not working <laughs> by and large. Right. And so again, this is shifting from schooling to education. This is not just something that is done to youth, but this is something that is done with them, right? And so we think about the decision-making process. Um, so I think about a couple things, um, involving students in, in policy decisions, whether that's at the district level or at a school level or actually in a classroom, right? Um, like how do students be involved in like determining and making decisions about what you consider a discipline policy or a suspension policy or anti-racism policy or an equity policy or um, a homework policy or uh, a tardiness policy or whatever it is, right? Like not just, not just doing the policies to them, but involving them in the construction and the creation and the implementation of the policies. Another thing, what else could you students, the hiring, right? <laughs> oh my God, I can't involve students in hiring. What well, they teaching, 
You know what I'm saying? And I get some of the, the strains and the stressors. Like, look, I'm just trying to get some teachers in this building because we uh, don't have enough folks in here. So the decision's going, I'm going to just take whoever I get. I get it. I got it. I understand the context and the pressures. And so I'm not trying to negate that reality. But you can think about them being a part of the hiring, even if they're not. Um, they could be making decisions on like the actual protocols that you use. Um, when you're hiring someone, um, the budget, um, there's something called participatory budget budgeting. And there are schools. I just read a, a, a piece about a um, leader in Arizona um, who was doing some work around this. And so, um, yeah, you can you can involve students in actual budgeting aspects of it. Um, and then I think even more practically, you can involve them in like the 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 instruction and what i mean by instruction particularly in assignments now again some of you are in context where you're deeply constrained by um it's like you got to teach particular state standards and um get it i got it right however there are opportunities and i think there are places where you can exercise power where you can offer an, a variety of um, ways in which youth can express their understanding of content, right? There could be multiple modes or ways of expressing. So for an example, um, I actually, I still do this in the courses that I teach. So I teach a course, um, a policy course on schools and gentrification. And one of the assignments in that course, you know, instead of writing papers, you wrote about 50 million papers in grad school. Um, instead of writing like a proposal, you know, written like 49 proposals. Um, I have an assignment, you know, where you can just choose. You have to do one of these, you can choose something else. But you know, you can write an op-ed that has to get published um, because you're trying to influence discourse, um, whether it's locally, nationally or at the state level. And I've had students do that and they've gotten them published multiple times. Um, you can um, work with a community based organization and uh, write an advocacy letter in support uh, of the work that they're doing and um, direct it where they want it to go. Right. Um, you can do some advocacy at a school board meeting. Um, you can, uh, create a documentary. You can create an album, right? And I actually had a student do this shout out to Jamie, um, who created like a 15 track album CD about, um, gentrification, particularly in, in East Austin, uh, in East Austin, Texas. So, and he had his turntables and everything and actually presented at a conference too. And it was, it was amazing. It was dope. Right. Um, the expression of Jamie doing the album with 15 tracks on it with bars. I mean, yeah, bars, he was spitting bars, um, was a beautiful display of what he already knew in his lived experiences, but also demonstrating uh, the content that we had talked about and discussed over the course of a semester. Right. And so what I'm saying is that there are a variety of ways in which you could provide assignments where students could decide and choose um, how they will make known what they have. The fourth practice that you can engage to center youth, black youth, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, the, the fourth strategy is to build community with students, right? It is to build community um, with students. It's, it's creating that space where students can feel comfortable in sharing their lived experiences, their perspectives, their ideas, their opinions. Um, and so this requires engaging in 
developing some deep levels of trust. And this is why even in the courses that I still teach today, the very first course, um, we don't, we ain't reading no articles. We ain't doing no work. We, we are building community. We are building community. We are, we are actually practicing taking risk. We're actually practicing setting up the context, um, and the conditions, the norms, um, to be able to take risks, to be able to, um, to be able to be vulnerable, um, to be able to have that space that you can be brave and courageous and to engage and to say things that are um, that are not neutral, but are explicitly uh, aligned with focusing on creating a world that's racially just. And I try to model that, too. Um, But, yeah, we build a community. And then at the beginning of each class, we revisit that to continue to build that community. Um, That's something that's constant and ongoing. Um, And so I think building community and the, what comes out of building community is building relationships, right? I see those two as like being um, dialectic and deeply intertwined because uh, people always talk about build relationships and build relationships are super important. Um, but relationships are fostered in a in, in community, right? Even if that community is just you and another person, that that is a communal bond, right? Um, and so building community with students is an extremely important way to think about um, centering them in your racial justice work because it moves from just like the individual to this larger notion of a collective, right? And so um, building community with youth is another way to center them. And finally, um, the fifth way um, to center youth in your racial justice work is to use their feedback to inform your practices. Now, this um, this builds on some of the other things that I mentioned earlier, but you're literally using their feedback in real time to inform and to build your practice. Now, this is this is a practice that I've actually picked up from uh, my doctoral advisor when I was in graduate school. So one of the things that I do actually every single class I'm at the end of class and it's simple, but it can be powerful and profound. Um, And many of you may already do this, but um, anonymous, you know, at the end of class, I give them like five or seven minutes. And depending on some time, we'd be just, it'd be so much packed in the class that it'd be like two minutes or one minute or on your way out. But nonetheless, um, they're like two questions. It's anonymous. You know, um, what's working in the class and, you know, what shifts do we need to make? Right. Um, so it's kind of like kind of like plus negatives and deltas, like what's working well, what's not working well, what do we need to change? The plus was working well. The negative is kind of like what do we need to change? And the delta, the delta is what we need to change and the negative things we need to stop doing. Right. Essentially. So it's like those two or three questions and it's anonymous and everybody gets to put it in. I don't know who wrote what I'm not looking at. Um the handwriting, you know, right on a sheet of paper. Um, you can do it also digitally, right? So people type it, upload it, it's all there. And the good thing about doing it digitally, if you do it something on like a Google form, then um, it's like a repository. So you can look from class to class to class to see like any patterns of like what people are saying that's working, what people are saying that is not working, what people are saying we need to change, right? And so I get that at the end of each class. And then I typically um, talk, through it with my teaching assistant if I have one like hey this is what what, what folks are saying in the class are, are you noticing this too are you observing this I've noticed this as well and then um, what I'll actually do is I'll take the feedback and I'll uh, the, the very next class I'll literally address it at the beginning of the class all right so uh, for an example like um, 
several of you said that we needed more time in the small groups because in the smaller groups, you were having some rich conversations. You were thinking through some problems of practice that were very beneficial for you. Right. And so I'll, I'll name that at the beginning of the class and then I'll make an adjustment. Right. So instead of 25 minutes in small group, we're going to do 45 minutes. Right. Um, and so I'm literally using their feedback to make real time decisions in the class. I don't have to wait to the end of the semester. I have to wait to the end of the quarter. I don't have to wait to like some check in point. I'm literally from time to time that we're meeting. I'm using that feedback. And so like if I was teaching every single day in a classroom, you could do that two or three times a week. Um, do it on a Friday, do it on a Wednesday or do it on a Tuesday, do it on a Friday. So now you got the weekend to start to think about these two data points, but actually name it. Or I'll say I'll come in the next time and say, like, hey, you mentioned uh, to do this. Um, I won't be able to do it this way, but I'll make a pivot. And then um, I think we could do it this way. Are there any other suggestions about how we may do it again? Open it up for them to help make the decisions. But again, you're literally using their feedback to inform your practice. Now, some of the most powerful ways I've seen this done, and I think I mentioned to you before, is like when students are observing teachers, like not teachers observing teachers, but like when students are observing teachers and the feedback that teachers actually get when students are observing them. Oh, it's very rich. <laughs> it can be very rich. Um, but the thing is, like, you now have to use that to inform your practice and make some shifts. Um, I think you can also just be just keep it a hundred. Like one of the things you could write on that sheet instead of saying what's not working, what's working, what needs to be changed. is like, what do I need to do to get better at X? Right. Conveying information, uh, sharing space, uh, creating culture um, in the classroom where you feel affirmed racially and socially and across all um, your intersecting identities, right? So I, again, it is dovetailing with some of the other things I said, but you're actually using it to inform. Well, I hope you got something out of that that was useful. Um, you know, I hope there's some practical things that you folks on your team can use to really begin to inform your work, to continue to center students in their totality of their humanity and who they are, um, and everything that they show up with that you can continue to center that in your racial justice work, um, and not make it about things that, it, that don't matter, but make it about the actual people that we are engaged in this work for, to support, to work with, um, and to be of service with. So, um, if you found that helpful and useful, that's awesome. Let me know. Please share this with folks. Um, help us spread the word. And I'm super excited to hear um, how this continues to go and how it's going for you. So in the words of old Marty, Marty, Ma, see you when I show you. Push. Well, that is it, folks. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed it. And I am so excited and really looking forward to our time together during future podcasts. What I need you to do is to please hit the subscribe button, share with a friend, and please leave a review. Love reviews. And if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to www.raciallyjustschools.com. That is www.raciallyjustschools.com. When you join our community, I have a free video for you on three tips that will make your racial justice work better. And again, if you love the show, hit subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. And until next time, peace.